Hello, fellow chemistry enthusiasts. Welcome to Chem Talks Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about several of the most influential discoveries in the history of chemistry. So chemistry has been around for centuries to a millennia. Like we have been doing chemistry so long. Everybody, like it's just asking those questions, that question of why. Like, why does something work like this? You know, what causes this? How does this operate? And being inquisitive and investigating and trying to figure it out. And that's just part of human nature. But one of the problems is that we've only been able to accurately record the history of chemistry for a couple of centuries in comparison to how long it's actually been around. So since we've been able to accurately record, um, we've made major discoveries that have pushed us leaps and bounds from where we've started into where we are now and we just keep going further and further and further. However, in this episode, we're only going to be talking about um, several of the um, major discoveries and so we'll just get right into it. One of the first major discoveries was uh, Joseph Priestley. Joseph Priestley was the first person, he was the first person to discover oxygen. Now, it's kind of interesting because he didn't actually name it oxygen. He was searching for what other, like other airs, because we knew that the element, there were the elements of, not that there really were, but it was believed that there were the elements of water, earth, and air. And so he was searching for other airs. Now, he did this by taking a burning glass, which is basically a lens or a magnifying glass, and he heated up an orange powder that was um, mercuric calx. And so when this orange powder, like, started to burn, he caught the gas that was emitted in a jar. And so basically then he captured it, and he figured out that there was a gas in this jar. Now, he took this to France, Paris, where eventually Antoine Lavoisier was able to replicate his experiment with better technology. And the thing that Antoine Lavoisier did was he weighed it. And so when he weighed that emitted gas, it proved that something was actually emitted and he called it oxygen. And this started an early version and like this led to him starting an early version of basically the periodic table of elements. And so him doing Antoine Lavoisier was the one who quote unquote discovered it but it all started with Joseph Priestley and so they kind of worked hand in hand in like starting this new age of chemistry where things weren't classified as earth fire water or air but where we had true elements and so Priestley produced oxygen in the experiment and like kind of saw where this was going and then took it to where there were more mines on it and got hands on and got help from Antoine Lavoisier and he eventually gave it its name and correctly describes you know how it operates and everything like that and eventually created a system that was kind of the basis for our modern system of how things operate now. Next up number two on one of our most influential discoveries was Dalton's atomic theory. So Prior to Dalton, they people were still kind of in the funk of, you know, earth, fire, water, air elements and like not really understanding, you know, how complex things were because we, we weren't at that point yet in in science and in technology. And so John Dalton provides a way of 
He provided a way of linking invisible atoms to measurable quantities. Basically what he did is, his atomic theory states that elements consist of tiny particles called atoms. And so what he did is connected chemistry under an umbrella of vernacular and starts the snowball of what eventually builds into modern chemistry. He was kind of like the guy in the back, just kind of pushing it along and pushing it along. He set us up, he built the foundation for where we could go from here. And by him bringing his theory out, it was like a step out into the unknown, but it was so important because without him taking that step and him being courageous enough to take that step, it just would have been, it would have been much longer before we even got to where we were. And so he did that and that was very important. The third one was Amadeo Avogadro. He was an Italian chemist that basically proposed that equal volumes of gases under equal conditions of temperature and pressure contain equal number of molecules. And this was vital because at this point we didn't really understand like how everything was connected and that there were tiny particles or how much a mole was of something. And so by Amadeo Avogadro proposing this and saying, hey, look, like there's these tiny particles and that there's not like a, there's not a few of them. There are so many of them. And he gave us Avogadro's number, which became super vital in chemistry, especially when you're doing like all kinds of different maths and everything. And you're working with moles and you're working with ratios. Like Avogadro's number is important. And everybody, every chemist knows that as 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd power. Frederick Wohler, uh, he, this was one of the first times where, um, it was actually the first time where we were able to produce an organic substance from inorganic materials. And this had been thought of as like, not possible prior to this point in time. And so basically how this worked was Frederick Wohler, he had two inorganic substances that was potassium cyanate and ammonium sulfate. And so he had put those in a beaker on his desk and continued to work, continued to work. Things had gone on over the past couple days. And then one day he just happens to look over and see that there is a, like a crystal salt looking substance in there. And so when he looked at it, he investigated it and he saw that it looked like a similar crystal salt that he'd worked with before. And so he found this crystal salt to be urea, which is an organic substance that's produced from urine. And so when he saw this, he realized that we can create organic substances from inorganic materials, which was mind-blowing at the time because until 1828, it was believed that organic substances could only form with the help of the quote-unquote vital force present in animals and plants. And that, that vital force was basically just life. And so like, we didn't think that we had the ability to create something like that or push something like that out into the world. But with this, totally by accident, we were able to figure out, hey, we're capable of so much more than we think. And we just need to keep like working and studying. And so he later went on to do greater things with creating organic materials. Music 
the fifth one is going to be Frederick Cuculé. He figures out the chemical structure of benzene. And this is this is one of this is probably one of the most important in my opinion. Um because it opened an entire new world of chemistry. Like prior to this there was simply chemistry. And then after this there were two branches of chemistry. There was the chemistry in the past like chemistry, non-organic chemistry, and then there was organic chemistry. And this was so vital. And it happened basically because he was trying to learn how to structure these atoms or these molecules like out on paper with like Lewis structures. And he was kind of an early version of a Lewis structure. So when he was putting them together, he found that eventually like benzene would not connect. Like it... It just, as a line, as a chain, it did not connect. And so he fell asleep by the fire one night, and he had a dream. And that dream was that there was a snake going around and slithering around and slithering around. And then eventually, that snake turned around and started making a circle. And it sort of made a circle and a circle, and then it bit its own tail. When he had this dream, it awakened him to the idea that maybe not all molecules are structured in a, in a chain, in a line. And so he saw that he could connect the carbon atoms if it was a ring with alternating single and double bonds. And so this was, this was massive because it opened that world of how, like of organic chemistry and it explained how benzene is structured and was able to explain how carbon forms with other molecules and it just like it basically exploded into this new wave of chemistry where people were able to finally investigate this because somebody had figured out it's basically like a key he he had the key and it was in his brain and that was the dream and then once he turned that key it opened it it opened the floodgates into organic chemistry The number six discovery, but second on my list of like what I think is most important, would be Dmitry Mendeleev. Now, Dmitry Mendeleev, he is known that made and organized the periodic table. And so it's said that basically he gathered all the elements, all of the known elements, which there were 63 at the time. And so he gathered all these known elements and laid them out as if it was like a solitaire, um, the card game. And he arranged them in increasing atomic weight and realized that their properties repeated according to certain periodic cycles. And so that's kind of how he got it. And so he put these all together based on their atomic weights and said, hey, look, this is what I have. This is these are all the patterns that I'm seeing. But the problem was that there were elements that were missing. And so these elements that were missing, he guessed and said, look, I think that these elements are going to have these properties and they're going to be like these elements that we already know about. And he ended up being right. Now, that was a major, major, like courageous leap. And there's another guy. It was a Frenchman who said, hey, look, I, I have an early version of this. But the problem was with him was that he did not take that leap. And so 
if he had taken that leap, he would be on the list. But he took that, he didn't take the leap because he didn't want to be wrong about guessing it. And Dmitry Mendelov did. And so when he guessed and he was right, he made history. The number seven major discovery that we have is a uh, self, is Humphrey Davy. He was a self-taught English chemist. And Humphrey Davy found that electricity transforms chemicals. And so basically his experiment was that he uh, melted potash. Potash is a mineral found in the ground. Uh, it also forms in the ashes of wood. And so it's just kind of like this mixture. And so chemists had speculated that it is a compound of several elements but they couldn't do anything to prove it. Like, they could not know. And so Humphrey Davy, he ran, um, he was kind of a, a battery junkie, to say the least. And so he was loving working with electricity because it was new at the time. And it was kind of like, it was kind of like if, when fire was first discovered and people loved working with fire, Humphrey Davy, electricity came and he loved working with electricity. And so he ran wires from one of his biggest batteries that he had, which in relativity to the batteries that we have now was not that big, but was pretty big back then, but it did the job. And so he ran wires from one of his biggest batteries to a pile of uh, melted potash. And when he started it up, he realized that pure potassium began to emerge. And so this was a major discovery because it eventually led to the discovery of electrochemistry and working with electricity and chemistry. And what this led to in like our modern age was the rise of the aluminum industry, the production of semiconductors, solar panels, LED displays, and rechargeable lithium batteries. Like this was the foundation for an entire industry of like progressive progressive technology and that's why he that's why this one is so important next up on number eight we're gonna have jj uh, thompson and jj thompson discovered the electron and how he did this was he used a cathode ray tube and in this he he uses so in the cathode ray it shoots and admits the ray. When he you put a magnet up to it, he realized that the ray moves. Now magnets can only interact with things that have, a, like that are matter, that have substance. And so the, even though this ray is so tiny, he realized that it does have matter. And it, it, it is substance. But not only that, but it has an electric charge because it's moving with the magnet. It, 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 it can repel or it can attract with the magnet. And so he's found, he found that out. And he found out that electrons existed and that they had a very, 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 very small weight, but that they carried a negative electric charge. Next, at number nine, we're going to have uh, Niels Bohr. So Niels Bohr publishes his model of atomic structure in which electrons travel in specific orbits around the nucleus and the chemical properties of elements are largely determined by the number of electrons in its atoms' outer orbits. So this is where, like, basic, like, we get taught in chemistry, like, pretty early on about the, 
the Bohr models. And so it's the nucleus with the circles around and the valence electrons. And how important that is in it, like this level, it illustrates so clearly to people who are learning chemistry, kind of how valence electrons work and how electrons get shared and how to count the electrons, which is a basic like foundation understanding of chemistry. And it's very, very important that this one, that this model came about. Now it's not correct, but it is important for helping teach and laying a foundation for chemistry and teaching it to younger people. And this paved, this paved a way of understanding how electrons are involved in chemical bonding, which led to further discoveries on it and helped us get to the right answer of how atoms work and how electrons function as a part of the atom, even though it was wrong. But it was still vital in getting us to where we are. And number 10, we have... Kirchhoff and Bunsen, and so Gustav Kirchhoff and Robert Bunsen find that each element absorbs or emits light at specific wavelengths, producing specific spectra. And so basically what they did was they built the first spectroscope. And it was basically like a prism. And so as an element was put into a Bunsen burner, so like if you have a Bunsen burner and you flash some copper into it, it's going to light up green. And so each element can pass off at a different light. And so as an element was put into the Bunsen burner, the light from the heated substance passed through the prism of the spectroscope, where it then spread into a ribbon-like spectrum of colors. When burned, each element produced a, a unique spectrum. And so basically these different spectrums for each element are like barcodes, and it's how we can tell you know, what element is what based on its reacts and goes through and what its spectrum is. And so a, pro a practical like application of this today is using it to figure out what is in other planets' atmospheres. We can figure out what elements are in other planets' atmospheres by using a spectroscope because we were able to figure out that sodium was in the sun based on its spectrum. And so that was, like, this is a major, major, like, creative, like, process and thinking that maybe all these things have, like, a barcode and how unique that is per element. And we can see that. For number 11, we have uh, Marie and Pierre Curie. And so basically what they, would, they did is they discovered and isolated radioactive materials in uranium ore. And so after chemically extracting uranium from uranium ore, Maria notes that the residual material is more active than the pure uranium. But what she later found out was that um, they did everything to extract like the radioactive materials. And so they would sift through, they would separate, they would melt, they heated up, they cooled up, like they did everything to separate these. And so she discovered two new elements doing this. And those two new elements were polonium and radium. And she also, she found out that radium was a million times more radioactive than uranium. 
and she also discovered the mysterious force that is radioactivity because we did not know about this at the time. So we didn't really understand like what radioactivity was or how it worked. And so when she discovered it, it was also sort of too late because she later died of leukemia from the radiation because she, at that point in time, we didn't understand that radioactivity was dangerous. And so she was working with no masks, no gear, no nothing. And so even to this day, her notebooks are still considered to be too radioactive to handle. And so they are locked away and kept away for safety and preservation. Coming in at number 12, we have John Wesley Hyatt and Leo Bacaland. John Wesley Hyatt, he and Bacaland, basically what they did is they formulated the first synthetic plastic. And this plastic is used to make many different objects. And it's great because it's moldable, it's strong, it's cheap. And so this came at a time when expensive substances such as ivory and amber, horn and tortoise shell, like they were all being used to craft stuff, but we didn't want to use that anymore because it was expensive and ivory is uh, sort of unethical in its way. And so they invented hardened plastics, specifically bakelite, which is a synthetic substitute for the shellac used in electronic insulation. And so these plastics were revolutionary in starting a new modern like age of manufacturing and manufacturing technologies. Coming in at 13 uh, and our final major discovery in chemistry, we have Rob. So it was three people. It was Robert Curl, Harold Croto and Rick Smalley. And so they discovered an entirely new class of carbon compounds. And so these carbon compounds were in a cage-like structure. And so this also, this cage-like structure, I'm gonna separate it out, but I'm gonna touch on the later part first. It led to the discovery of a tube-like structure that's called C60. And so basically it's now seen as one of the most strong, like one of the strongest structures in, in all of creation. And so these structures are very useful because they're so strong. And the tubes, like these tubes of carbon atoms of C60 can be up to a thousand times stronger than steel. And collectively, the compounds came to be called uh, Buckminster Fullers or Fullerners. And these molecules are composed entirely of carbon and take the form of a hollow sphere tube or ring. And so basically how it works is it's basically just kind of a sphere that is so perfectly symmetrical, symmetrical in every way that its strength is unmatched. And so these are used a lot in nanotechnology and like nano manufacturing. And because they are made of carbon atoms, so they're super tiny, but they are super practical and super useful, especially the structure. Those are 13 of the major discoveries in all of chemistry, starting all the way back to before we even knew what elements were, ending with a practical application in modern chemistry and nanotechnology. And so this is a podcast that's perfect for all of you chem enthusiasts. And so I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope you guys are taking it easy and stay safe. Thanks for tuning in.